0: Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by ReanimatedRecords.com. Fair warning: Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead.
1: Following his debut feature, Reanimator, director Stuart Gordon returned to the world of H.P. Lovecraft for his follow-up in 1986 with From Beyond, loosely based on a short story of the same name from Lovecraft's twisted and macabre fantasies. Gordon Reed teamed with part of the cast from Reanimator, with Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs leading the way along with Ken Ferre who many fans recognize for his work in Dawn of the Dead or even in a more recent hit The Devil's Rejects. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead we turn on the resonator, stimulate our pineal glands and see what lies from beyond. to rewind of the living dead i am damon martin i'm
0: patrick Guerra.
1: and as we said at the top of the show we are going to be talking about a classic 1986 horror movie this week from beyond and (laughs) patrick we we teased after doing the shining and uh and doing doctor sleep but we were not gonna do all all time classics now that being said from beyond is actually a classic it is definitely a classic just of a much different sort
0: yeah, and you know what's funny is we were like, oh, we're going to get into these these sort of funner, more campier 80s films, and it does have its, its certain level of camp. But Stuart Gordon is in his own way an auteur. We're still dealing with a guy who takes his filmmaking very seriously. It just happens to now be like neon-drenched, synthesized you know, 80s slick plastic uh, uh, type movie. But he, but Stuart Gordon still very much takes this serious.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, uh, so let, let's be clear about this. I feel like I had, when I rewatched it, I feel like I have seen From Beyond, but it had been years. And I mean, like, Probably when I was in high school or, or middle school, maybe when I watched this, because there were some elements. That I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that, but not to the point where anything really stood out to me. And this was the first time you'd actually seen it, correct?
0: This was definitely the first time I'd seen it. I was sat through it and I was completely riveted because nothing was familiar to me. It was all new. And, and I was just like, holy shit, this? Holy shit, that? <laughs>
1: It's uh it's it's definitely a uh, an interesting movie to say the least, and this is his follow up from Reanimator, which is, of course is an all time classic. I had just recently rewatched Animator, maybe like hmm. maybe like two months ago. I rewatched it. it was on like Showtime or something. I hadn't seen it in several years, and I rewatched it and I laughed, and it was you know still just as great as it had ever been, and very much you know Evil Dead, you know very campy, very you know meant to be funny, but also you know, horrific, and also, you know, these kind of, like, you know, real graphics, and, and 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 the effects were done very, very well in that movie for what it was, uh, and then going in, I don't know why I never really followed up to see From Beyond, because I've seen a lot of uh, Stuart Gordon's other movies, but for some reason, I just didn't remember seeing From Beyond, but when I actually watched it, I, again, I felt like there were elements of the movie that I remember seeing, like the the flying eels, like I remember when that came on, I was like, okay, I remember that. I feel like I remember watching that when okay. I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, it's uh it's an interesting movie, and and it definitely it's an '80s horror movie. Like I don't know a better way to say it. Yeah. It definitely fits into that '80s genre of horror movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, right from the jump, like I'm I'm hearing like kind of classic 80s score and then like the synth stuff would kind of creep in and then that mixed lighting cinematography like you know heavy magenta on one side and 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 green on the other you know it was just it top to bottom you could not mistake this for anything other than a 1980s horror film and that that was that was so much fun just to sit and watch that not that I wasn't having fun watching the other stuff that we've been uh, reviewing, but this I was like, oh yeah, this is the '80s I'm thinking about, <laughs> and it was also fresh and new for me, and so it was it was great to just get immersed in it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really fun movie in terms of plot, you know, just in terms of like kind of setting the stage for what this movie is about. Uh, basically, it's about a mad scientist, more or less. I, you know, I don't know a better way to say it. He's yeah. basically a, a totally. mad scientist building a machine that. You know, uh, stimulates the pineal gland, and a lot of the movie, you know, circulates around, you know, the, the circulation and the true nature of the pineal gland and what it, you know, what it generates, and, and kind of like this alternate universe that you can tap into uh, by tapping into your pineal gland. And so this doctor is kind of obsessed with this. Doctor Edward Pretorius is his name, and his assistant or co-doctor, uh, you know, it, it Crawford is, you know, kind of like the guy who, who you know puts in the new program and figures it out, and he kind of travels quote-unquote, from beyond. Uh, and and then it works, but it obviously freaks him out and scares him. And when he gets to the doctor, the doctor is so emphatic about turning on the machine again and experiencing it for himself. And that's when everything kind of goes haywire. And there's a little touch of, like, you can see in this movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, you can see how this movie influenced other movies, like that scene uh, coming when Crawford you know, is, is captured and he goes into the insane asylum and that's when you first meet Barbara Crampton's character. I kind of get a little bit of that John Carpenter in In the Mouth of Madness when his guy goes mad. You just kind of get this feeling of like, he's, he's not crazy. We're just not seeing what he's seeing. Like that kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I really like that
0: actually, that aspect of the movie really rings true to a lot of '80s thrillers and horror movies that I would watch. Where it's like, no, you guys don't understand. Like I've seen something, and no one around you believes you because you just sound insane. Uh, and then that enters Barbara Crampton's character, uh, Dr. McMichael's, who clearly, like, very conveniently has an her own obsession with with the the pineal gland and the idea of. Uh, places from beyond and, and so she wants to take him in and dive deeper into this. And, and we should mention too that when they turn the machine back on, uh, Dr. Petrorius gets gets consumed by what's from beyond and becomes something else. And that's kind of that he becomes kind of the main villain of the movie.
1: Yeah, and turning on or turning off the machine kind of, you know, creates this alternate universe where you can see these things because that's one of the underlying currents of the, of the start of the movie is, you know, as, as Crawford explains, is that you, know, you they're all around us. You just can't see them. Right. Uh, until you turn on the resonator and then you can actually see these creatures all around us and that's when it kind of gives them uh, form to life in our universe or however you want to say it. Uh, and then at that point, it kind of becomes a... Uh, a race to find out what this machine does and and why it's doing what it's doing. And then it ultimately affects the characters in a way where they kind of get addicted to it and it kind of changes them and morphs them in different ways. And, uh for lack of a better word turns them horny for a minute and then like, <laughs> and then, like i mean, then, like i said it, yeah, it it is very i don't know a better way to say it, it is very Lovecraftian. and like it is definitely a love like you can tell the influence obviously it's based on a lovecraft story but like you can see the influence of hp lovecraft throughout this movie
0: yeah and and also i mean like it it could it perfectly encapsulates like 80s horror like People are unnecessarily horny.
1: <laughs> it's like,
0: okay, well, that didn't really need to be the case, but it's the case. It's like it's one of the linchpins of this of this story is that it, the stimulating the pineal gland makes you. Uh... <laughs> get kind of sexy, so you know, that has to be part of it.
1: It's funny because, and you can't watch 80s horror movies, especially like slasher movies, and this is not a slasher movie, but you cannot watch those kind of movies without that kind of underlying current of sex, and it's one of the things that Scream points out so brilliantly when they talk about that, like no sex, you know, sex leads to death in horror movies, and it's true in a lot of ways, especially in slasher movies, but like like I said, it almost feels like a rite of passage, like there's got to be some sort a Sexual overtone, or, or in this case, just complete sexual. Overtone. Like, there's no, there, there's no yes. hiding what they're trying to do here. Uh, but it's like that, like that part to me when they go back to the house after they, they get Crawford out of the insane asylum, and they go back to Doctor Pretorius's house and they turn on the machine, and everybody immediately gets horny. That like <laughs> made me laugh so hard. Like I was just so funny. I was just like. what What is going on here? Like, it was just so bizarre. Like, I was just like, of course they get horny. Of course that's what this machine does to them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this movie ticks off all the boxes. You get the, the crazy lighting, the synth, the gore, the horniness—it's all there, <laughs> you know. It's—it's it's like literally, it's—it's it's all wrapped into one. But I mean, Stuart Gordon really does take it seriously. Like even that idea of like, oh, you know, you can tap into the pineal gland and see a world that exists around you that you couldn't normally see. Like that's some real shit. Like there's there's people out there that like do ayahuasca and and DMT and they'll tell you that too. They'll go, oh man, dude, I smoked DMT and I sat on my balcony and I looked out and I saw the city that lays over our. City and it's like this futuristic place with flying cars and and these beings and you're like holy shit like there there's some root to all of it like again Stuart Gordon takes it seriously like there's there's research behind it I, I found out that Stuart uh, insisted on things being medically accurate as best they could be you know obviously it's part science fiction but he he really wanted to get the science part as as uh, as accurate as he possibly could even though (laughs) the movie just kind of goes off in some weird directions at times.
1: Yeah. And see, I got to be honest here in terms of like the movies I enjoy, the stories I enjoy. And I actually, weirdly enough, uh, on HBO right now, there's a show called Lovecraft Country, which is amazing. One of my it. favorite shows on TV. Love so well show. done. But I'll be honest, I'm not a big Lovecraft guy, and that goes beyond the fact that he was a giant racist. But I'm talking about like his actual yes. literary work. I was never a you know Cthulhu guy. I was never a big Lovecraft guy. Like there are movies that tap into a bit of that Lovecraft element. You know that tap into that. Like like in the Mouth of Madness. That's a very Lovecraft. Yeah inspired movie from John Carpenter, and I love that movie, and I'm sure at some point we'll break down In the Mouth of Madness, one of my all-time favorite John Carpenter movies. Um I like those elements at times, uh, you know, when they kind of get into that you know that, that creeping, you know, monster kind of thing. But in general, I'm not a Lovecraft fan. I've read a couple, or I'll say I'll tried to read a couple of his books, and I just I don't know. I just didn't really get into it, and so that's not my typical brand of horror. Like when I think of horror, like I, the 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 you know the creatures and all the weird names and everything, I just it doesn't really do it for me, except in small doses. Like like Lovecraft Country is is not. You know, it is, but it's not. It is, you know, it is based on Lovecraftian type stories, but it is not, you know, smacking you over the head with Cthulhu for nine episodes, or I don't think I would be into it nearly as much as I am. And this movie definitely has more of that Lovecraft tone, but I still enjoyed it, even though I will say that typically doesn't do much for me.
0: Yeah, I can't. I'm right there with you. I can't say that I've really watched or read rather uh, much Lovecraft, maybe like a short story here or there. I was actually an Edgar Allan Poe guy uh, (laughs) and I would buy it in the original prose. So it took like 20 weeks to read like one chapter. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a mood, it's a style, and and Stuart Gordon really embraces it.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, the practical effects, and you know, obviously in '86 they weren't doing CGI or anything like that, and and you know, there were some pretty cheesy effects in this movie, and we'll get into yes. that a little bit later with some of the gore. But I will say, a lot of the practical effects were really well done. I mean, for a, a low budget overall low budget horror movie, like they actually did some real, like just like Reanimator, like there are some really solid mm-hmm. effects. In this movie, when you're looking at it, you're not thinking, wow, this was a, you know, a low budget horror movie. Like there are some really cool effects in this movie.
0: Yeah, you can see, I mean, it's this is a really self-contained story. Like it kind of only exists at that hospital and at this house, a couple of random little locations here and there. But like they saved all that and really put their effort into the effects because I think the effects are like almost on par with the thing. I don't want to like go too far that way, but – I mean, they're pretty good for this for a movie that has, I think it was only two and a half million bucks, uh, and they kind of just they shot it in Italy and, and and did it the best they could. Looks great, like the the practical effects, which are mandatory in a good '80s horror film. Like you got to have some practical effects that are titillating, and 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 these are right up that alley. I mean, crazy. This is body horror. This isn't really. Um, uh, a slasher or a, a jump scare type movie. It's a body horror movie and I think it does it really well.
1: And you're taking a lot of chances doing that at that time. Now, granted, you know, in 86, there's only so much you could do. And for this time, people were probably falling over themselves to say how well done it is. But the fact that we're still talking about it in 2020 and they actually did a yeah. good enough job to where we're saying, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Because at that time, like if you were if I was, a, you know, I'm a, obviously a massive horror fan. If I was a horror director in 85 making a movie, you know, I think Nightmare on Elm Street would probably be about as deep into the. Uh, into the effects that I would go. And those effects, you know, like, you know, Johnny Depp being pulled through the the bed and the blood, you know, flowing up and how they did that. And some of those effects, like, that would probably be about as deep as I'd want to go because then you start to really lose that realism because you just can't produce good enough effects to make it work. And, like, that was one of the things that made Evil Dead you know kind of a funny you know because it was so like it was so bad yet so great you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah, the effects that's are that's terrible that. in that movie uh but like this <laughs> one like like from beyond like there are some real like edward pretorius when you see his transformation you see the different creatures like especially i'll say especially him like the effects done with that particular character and that particular creature are very well done i'm not so much sure on the uh Giant Venus flytrap, whatever the hell that is in the basement thing. Maybe that's a that looks like that looked like something out of Batman 66. But for the most part, the effects of the movie were really well done, like especially for again what it was.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was it was fun, like it, it was really fun to just. I love. Pouring over uh, the effects on something, especially like, you know, we've talked about this in the last few episodes, like we don't get scared at watching most of the, uh, like 99% of the movies don't scare me. So when there's something like that to chew on, uh, to really uh, uh, intricate uh, practical effects like that, that's fascinating. It's fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Let's get into our categories this week. And for those who've listened to the show before or are jumping on it for the first time, we always go through a list of categories. For every single movie we're going to talk about, the categories will change from time to time. Some of them will be the same. Uh, Obviously, we're always going to talk about best and worst performances, best and worst lines, because that's kind of like a give with every movie. But some of the other categories will change from time to time. And of course, we're always going to talk about the horror element. So like we do every week, Patrick, let's kick things off with our best and worst performances. So best performance in From Beyond for you. Talk about that
0: my best performance definitely goes to the legendary Ken Forey as Bubba Brownlee he he plays he, it's really weird he's there there are all these scientists and then out of nowhere they they um they assign a cop like a street beat cop to this uh, to this case and he's just got line after he's line after line he steals every little moment that he's in, you know, he, he's, he's, he's completely, uh, con- contrasting to the other characters. He's completely out of left field and it works so well. And every time I was laughing out loud at the energy that he brought and, and it, he just, he made the movie to me, he made the movie.
1: Yeah, he's really good. You know his introduction when she takes him out of the Insanity asylum, and he's just standing there with by the van eating an apple, and you're like, huh? <laughs> like in that moment, I'm kind of like, like, oh, it's Ken Frey. What, what the hell's he doing here? Like, what, what's going on? And yeah, then, he like you don't even know why. Like, it's like a bit of like you know maybe like director's cut. Maybe you get a, a, a better introduction of why. Bubba Brownlee right. is actually, you know... It's really him. left field. <laughs> he, just, he just shows up. It's really up. left field. <laughs> they walk out, there's Bubba <laughs> with his van. And I'm just yeah. like, uh, what's going on now? You... <laughs> okay, I, got, I gotta bring this up with his performance. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Was when, the, <laughs> when the machine gets kicked on the second time and he comes out of his room to tackle Jeffrey Combs' character and he's like, <laughs> where are <just>, you know?" <laughs>
0: in a red speedo out of nowhere like it, we're in the middle of a dire situation you know they're going crazy the monsters are after them and Ken Furry bursts out of the room in a red speedo and they have a full on stunt like he tackles Crawford and they go tumbling down the stairs speedo and all, and that's, I mean, it's, all it's so insane. that's all yeah,
1: he's wearing that's all he's wearing the speedo out. And And they have a full sequence in a Speedo. And when they go into the basement to try to shut the power down, he's still in the Speedo. He goes back upstairs to get a knife still in the Speedo.
0: Still in the speedo, nothing's changed. And then even after all the melee and everything, and it, it all kind of starts to de-escalate, he's still standing there in that damn speedo. Like it's so, <laughs> it's such an interesting choice, you know. Like so many movies, they they work around that. Like some guys, like he's just barely putting on a button-up shirt. You know, he's got boxers, or he's like struggling to get his pants up or something. No. He busts out of the room with nothing on but a gold chain and the Speedos, and that's it.
1: I wonder who's, like... Obviously, the, the Stuart Gordon, the late great, passed away You know, fairly recently, uh, so yeah. we'll, never, we'll never get to ask him this question, but I wonder whose idea it was to just dress him in the Speedo. Like, that fascinated me. Like, I watched that when he tackled him down the stairs, goes down the basement, goes back to get the knife, goes back into the basement, and this is all happening... <laughs> In a speedo, and they're not. In a speedo. And it, and oh, uh, I was dying. I was just like, "This is the most ridiculously funny thing." Like, why is Kim Foray yeah. just in a speedo? Yeah, and
0: they're playing it straight. There's no, they never like, they never even like, stop to acknowledge that it's totally normal. And you know why? Probably why? Because it's it's totally 80s, right? So in the 80s, hey, some guys wear a speedo to bed. But I love <sighs> that they didn't try even remotely to like get pants on him or anything like nope you're gonna do the stunt where you're rolling down the stairs in the speedo
1: and they didn't address it either on the other side like anyone be like dude you want to put on some pants because like if you get into like yeah. the modern like modern more modern horror movies be like dude you want to put on some pants nothing yeah, no him. reaction no. he's just in a speedo None. no reaction whatsoever what about you? What what
0: was your best performance?
1: Uh listen, I'm a little biased here. You know, I, I love Ken Frey. I actually met Ken Frey several years ago at the Zombie Museum in uh in uh in Pittsburgh where they filmed uh Dawn of the Dead, so I got a picture with him. Great guy, nice. love his performance. But I'm biased here. I love Barbara Crampton. She is like, you know, her and Heather Langenkamp were my two scream queens growing up. I love both of them. Uh, Heather Langenkamp, of course, from Nightmare on Street 1 and 3, and then, you know, Barbara Crampton from Reanimator had a crush on her, of course. You know, who who couldn't see Reanimator and not have a crush on her and very Mm -hmm. much the same in this movie, but I think she actually does a really good job. Now, obviously, there are some over-the-top screams and things like that, but that's kind of to be expected in a horror movie, but, I think she really does in terms of like actually acting like I think she actually does the most acting in this movie and she goes a lot of ranges I mean at the beginning she's kind of like this demure doctor and then she has to again you know kind of over the top playing like a dominatrix or whatever the hell yeah, out she, gets she gets super in, horny and she, becomes yeah, a dominatrix yeah that and that's, you know, but to go and then she gets into like you know where she's you know being terrified and like you know being you know consumed by you know uh pretorius and all this kind of stuff she has a lot of screams very much a scream yeah. queen performance but in terms of like the overall performance i think she did a really good job and she had to carry a lot of weight in this movie
0: Absolutely. No, I I was actually really impressed. And it was an it was a note that I had taken down when I was done watching it is that really she does. She is categorized to me as a scream queen, like she has great performance, like overall. She just what you're saying, like she's she's probably the best actual actor in the film. Uh, I could see her slotting into like just a regular thriller or a regular drama with her acting abilities. And then when it came time to put on the screams, she could really do it. And she's not she's totally not a final girl like this is pre final girl, uh, you know, whether it's Stuart Gordon's choice or it's just his classical uh, uh, um, uh, framework that he likes to put things through. But she was really a scream queen that that was her role. She was not the role of like someone without any agency who's being pushed through the film. Like she's got her plans, she's got her plots, she's she wants to do things, she makes moves that move the story forward in a really uh, great way. She's got tons of agency. I loved it.
1: Yeah, she does a really really good job and like I said from top to bottom from you know, start to finish, I think she really does. You know, carry the heavy lifting in terms of the acting in this movie, obviously she's you know one of the you know main characters, so of course, but there's really only you yes. know four characters for the most part in this movie uh and yeah. she does you know again a lot of the heavy lifting does a very good job she you know she goes from you know again playing the doctor early and then you know playing the you know horny person later and then going from that to playing the terrified <laughs> girl and she does a really good job in all three roles and she does you know, like even in the moment when she's in the hospital and they're trying to give her shock therapy like she does that very well just like the physical yeah. acting the the um the emotional, you know, like the, the, face reaction, you know, you have to kind of show it through your face. You're not really saying anything. I think she did a really good job. And again, I'm biased. I really like Barbara Crampton. I think she's awesome. Uh, she was one of my eighties, you know, crushes as a kid, you know, her and yeah. Heather Lang and Cam, I mean, you're certain like everyone loved Jamie Lee Curtis and I love Jamie Lee Curtis as much. as The next person got to meet her a few years ago, comic-con completely <laughs> freaked out about that. But when Same. I was a kid, when I was in the eighties, You know, it's Heather Langenkamp for Nightmare on the Street and Barbara Crampton. Those are the two. But in terms of acting, she actually really does a great job. Totally. Totally does a great job. Now, in terms of worst performance here, we're going to agree. I already know your answer. So we're just going to, unfortunately, kind of rail on this one. Uh, (laughs) I'll let you open it because we're both going to have to talk about this one.
0: Yeah, worst performance goes to the great Jeffrey Combs, the fantastic uh, character actor in his own right. He's actually amazing in Reanimator. Like, he really does something interesting and fun there for someone who has to carry like half of this movie, like it was the wrong role for him. It just, he, I just didn't buy what he was going through, how he was going through it. It really rang pretty rough. Like the whole, like it would take you out of the movie, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. First off, he is the 1980s, David Tennant. That's who he looks like. Yeah. And second, you know, this is just not his role. Like he does not like, you know, playing the, you know, student, doctor, whatever you want to call him in Reanimator and what he's doing in that movie, he's kinda of being the hero a little bit. You know, he does a good job. He's kinda of, you know, kinda of the nerdy guy and he does a good job. But this one, they ask a lot more of him and he's so yes. over the top that it just gets to like it almost like there's there were moments where I was just like, dude, stop. Like seriously. Like, yeah. Just just yeah. stop. Like like when Dial they back. when they transformed him into uh, Alex Murphy from Robocop later in the movie when he's yeah. bald he looked like Robocop <laughs> And, and like, and he's eating the brain and like, it's just yeah. in some parts of it where I'm just like, yeah, I don't really need to see more of this guy. Like there, you know, and then like, yeah, yeah. I, I wish, I, I wish I could say there were moments where he really sold it, but like, he always had this look of like, he had to, he always had this look of like shock on his face for, and I understand if you're going through something horrific, you're going to be shocked, but like literally he never has any other look on his face besides the I'm shocked look on his face. Um, and his delivery of the lines are just, I mean, wow. Like, really? Yeah. Like, you're just kind of like it, – it, it literally was like one of those, like, you know, when you see a movie about bad acting and they overact and, like, you're kind of – like, that's what it was. Like, that's literally what it was.
0: Yeah, that was a tough one. And, again, like, because he had to carry so much of this movie, that's why it sticks out because otherwise – uh, you know, yeah, there were a few people who could give him a run for his money in their short little scene, but I had to see him through you know sixty seventy percent of the movie is his acting, so yeah, sorry, Jeffrey,
1: yeah, the best part he did in the whole movie was when he laid there when Barbara Crampton jumped on top of him, and he was just laid there unconscious <laughs> because he wasn't doing anything that was about that was about the best you got out of him. All right. Now, this is, I think this is probably my favorite segment. I always like to talk about best lines in a movie because, you know, horror movies are iconic for that particular reason. And uh, and for that reason, let me go ahead and play your favorite line, which I got to say is one of mine as well. But obviously, I picked a different one just because we don't want to have the same one necessarily. But yours is all Jeffrey Combs. Let's hear your favorite line from (laughs) Reanimator. It ate him. Bit off his head like a gingerbread man there's that great Jeffrey Combs <laughs> right there
0: you can hear him acting <laughs> right there uh, yeah I mean everything about that like bit his head and then it's when he and he sh-
1: then, his, like, his voice shaking like he bit off his <laughs> head <laughs> like a gingerbread man and you're like, what the hell is this? It was
0: so left field. There is a line that is officially, like, my really favorite line, but this line just, like, jumps out at you and is like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. were you guys scrambling on set to figure out what to say here and came up with this and, the, and uh, then let him act it that
1: way? And the camera work from Stuart Gordon literally zoomed in on his face as he has the shocked look on his face as he says, bit off oh, his head. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny and, like, so over the top and, like, Wow, what what is your what is your other favorite line? I gotta know what
0: your other favorite line is. My favorite line, of course, comes from the best actor in the film, <laughs> Ken Ferre. Uh, he says, um oh shit, where's it? I have it here right now. Where is it? Ah, uh, sorry, I'm looking for the line. Oh, <laughs> he says. So there. So I have to set just a little bit of context, right? We talked about how everybody gets horny uh, after after the machine gets turned on, and the next day they're all kind of feeling kind of weird and and also talking about their awkward, you know, sexcapades from the night before. And Ken Ferre says, "How about the hard on I got? Is there a statistical correlation
1: for that too?" <laughs> It's just so good. Uh, yeah, that's a great line. That is so good. Yeah, when he when he actually acknowledges when they all acknowledge their horniness is another you know funny part. But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. that's definitely no. G- the gingerbread man though. That is that as far as like lines go, that's one that sticks with you. Like when he said, my girlfriend was watching kind of in the background as I was watching from beyond the other night, and she <laughs> she just cracked up laughing when she heard him yeah. say gingerbread man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So mine, I easily could have gone to Ken Farai as well. He definitely did have some great one-liners. Even when he bit, bit the apple and said, "Football, we played football, oh. and we were crazy." Like yeah. we, I don't understand the context of why left <laughs>
0: field. It makes
1: no sense <laughs> much like his entrance in the movie you're like what uh, what's going on yeah. here uh, but this one there I, and also and, and we talked about great performances I want to give a, a shout out to the guy who played Edward Pretorius because for a guy who's basically yeah. stuck in a rubber suit for you know 90% of the movie uh, he actually did a great job as well uh, in terms of that he just wasn't in as much but I thought he did a very good job so here's my favorite line from uh, from from beyond what are you going to do to <laughs> and, so, and he's like I'm going to kiss you he's
0: from beyond and he's very horny
1: yeah and the other, <laughs> there was a line right after that too where he's like in another what did you say he said like he says something like in another world I would have done something else with you oh yeah
0: yeah I do, yeah. like some cre- it's like dude you're just being super creepy right yeah, now yeah that's right <laughs> after he
1: ripped her clothes off and like felt her up so yeah yeah, that, that, yeah. I'm, going, I'm going to kiss
0: you yeah <laughs> And you know what, though? He he, he did kind of have uh, the the uh, Ted Sorrell plays Dr. Petroius. It really, once he was from beyond, once he was this beast, uh, this weird thing, it almost had like kind of a pinhead vibe. Like I kind of dug it. He did. It was weird and, and odd, but I was like, there is some menace to this. I like it.
1: Yeah, there there is. And, you know, it feels like, you know, like there are elements of this where you're kind of like you wish they would have explored it more because when they opened up the one room and he has this giant like S&M room, With, like, whips and chains, and they find a video of him, like, whipping a girl, and she's naked. And, like, they don't really ever dig into that. You're kind of like... what like why like and i get it like it came back to play later when you know obviously barbara campton's character gets horny and decides to put on the dominatrix outfit and all that right but like you're kind of like i'm kind of intrigued by this edward pretorius guy because we don't really learn much more about him but in that moment i'm kind of like this dude's a freak like this dude's already a freak he didn't need his pineal gland to be stimulated to get really freaky
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I would never endorse a movie without Ken Ferre in it. But if you but if you pulled his uh, scenes out of it, you could probably could have expunged on that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. All right. Of course, this is a horror podcast, so we got to talk about our favorite scare and also the worst scare of the movie. So, Patrick, what was your what was your best scare of the movie? So I kind of
0: switched it up this time because it's, again, I don't think this is necessarily a scary movie. It's a body horror movie, so I kind of I kind of graded it on that. And to me my my best uh, body horror moment was when the flies swarm them. The effect itself is pretty bad. It doesn't really look like flies, but there there's such an amount of them and a cluster of them. It uh, it triggers that, uh, that trypophobia response, the fear of clusters and stuff. Like it really has that
1: kind of like this,
0: it, get it off me. Like it's really a skin crawl moment.
1: Yeah. I would say that's actually my favorite as well. I'm not like a, I'm not one of those people that's like scared of bugs. I'm really not. But like, The idea of like millions of them crawling on me just doesn't you know doesn't appeal to me. And in that moment, although you know they attack uh, Crawford and Doctor McMichael, but they don't attack Ken Ferre right away. And then they eventually attack. It was kind of weird, but like that
0: very weird way. Yeah, that
1: that I don't know. They just ran out of money for extra flies, or what happened. But like that is definitely that's my favorite as well. And and I know we're I'm gonna kind of double up when we talk about another subject later. But my favorite scare was Ken Foree getting attacked by the flies and them just literally that like cannibalizing him right then yeah. and there like that was that was creepy and like again not really scary I was like but I again this as you said it's body horror it's, it's a gore movie it's kind of like you're kind of like ooh. You're kind of grossed out, and that's oh, that's that's what that did. Like that was my favorite, kind of like the continuation of that fly scene when they actually attack Ken Frey's character. That was my favorite scare because in that moment, uh, I was kind of like ooh, and like the way they did it, I was like, damn, that was that was creepy. Like that was definitely scary. They did a good job with that. Yeah,
0: it makes you like itch. You know, you're just like sitting there, kind of like ooh, like man, I want to take a bath.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now. Worst scare? Uh, there was there are there were a lot of as we complimented. There were a lot of good effects in this movie, especially considering yes. it was a nineteen eighty six movie. There were some that were not so scary either. Uh, what was your worst scare of this movie?
0: Uh, my worst scare was the and, it, and it's like a, a continuing scare from the beginning and through the film is the, these flying death eels. Uh, they they just. You know, they did not look realistic. And at one point you even get to see, you you even see the strings, you know, as they come, the composite didn't kind of work perfectly. And so you even see the strings going, it just, it's cheesy. And I love the cheesiness of it, but on the scare scale and for it intending to be something scary, it did not work for me at all.
1: Yeah. For me, the worst scare was the weird penis coming out of Jeffrey Holmes's (laughs) head uh again and again like i know they meant for that to be kind of like a creepy like third eye because that's what they talked about the pineal gland being a third eye the the sixth sense uh didn't work for me wasn't scary wasn't creepy it was just weird uh and it didn't like i like literally i mean i I i'm not trying to be perverted about it literally looked like a dick coming out his head like i was just like yeah like what what like a word? Like, a, what it, was yeah, it was awkward. Yeah. And it kept <laughs> it was happening. Awkward. Like it kept popping out. It was like, dude, yeah. like once he turned into Robocop, it, it kept coming out of his head. And I was just like, this is not like, I, I'm not scared. I don't really, I, again, I feel like they were trying to give Jeffrey Combs's character more to do. And it felt yeah. like we could have had a lot less of him. You know what I mean? Like there's like yeah. the eating they, the, the, eating no the brain scene, like the eating the brain scene in the hospital. Like when the doctor walks in on him, I'm just like, I understand what they were doing they were talking about him kind of going in and out of this like from beyond character when he kind of flips into you know crawford and then goes back into the you know the from beyond person or whatever i get what they're trying to do with that but they did it do it once it's effective but then you do it then you do it when he's outside with the guy in the gurney you do it again like they did it like eight times to get the point across <laughs>
0: and the makeup was that was doing him no favors it was not it was not the best makeup in an otherwise pretty pretty awesome uh practical effects movie that's that's the low point
1: yeah now again this is actually one of a newer category for us we, we haven't talked about it in every single episode the best gore uh because again this is a movie that really is set around gore i mean again it's not a movie that you're going to be jump scared or you know ghost scared no. or this kind of movie. so for for best gore what do you got for this one
0: uh, one of the, the first scenes with Dr. Petrorius from, from beyond, like he's, he's still sort of a man, but he's got these growths and weird things. And then out of nowhere, his head sort of transforms and has these weird uh, spindly tentacles. It's very, very much like the thing. It kind of reminded me of the thing and, uh, and, and just had a kind of really disturbing and weird look to it. So to me, that was, that was my favorite gore. Uh, yeah. out, out of a lot of choices, there were plenty of choices.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go back to my favorite scare for this favorite gore, which is Ken Farai after he gets eaten by the flies. I was like really yeah. impressed by how well they did that. His legs were all chewed up. He had been you know pretty much devoured by these flies. Yeah, and Ken Farai is a big dude. Now, obviously, it's not Ken Ferrey laying there on the ground, but they did a really good job of like kind of just you know literally you know getting across the point that these these flies had eaten him alive. And when you see that shot of him coming down his face and his face has just been devoured, his legs have been, the legs were the part that got me. When they first you know, flew away yeah. and the legs have just been completely devoured and you can see the bone and the muscle. It was really like, that was like really, really well done.
0: Yeah, they did a great job. Yeah, really was, I mean, this 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 movie has got a wealth of great effects in it. I mean, you we could have done a lot of best score. We could have ranked them like 10, 10 to 1, you know?
1: Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, they did a lot, like I said, for for having practical effects, and again, I'm sure what was a very small buzzer. They did a very, very good job with the effects. I mean, you know, again, I, I, you know, everything being bathed in that, like, pink magenta light was a bit much at some points. Like, I understood why they, they you know, they had to do it to kind of make it the point of, like, that, sec- you know, that, that alternate universe being in there, but... I will say that magenta light, especially on Doctor, on, on Pretorius, did a really good job of kind of ex- a, a kind of like accentuating the, the gore that they set up with that particular character that continues to like morph and change and evolve. Uh, as you mentioned, kind of like the thing, uh, did a very good job. And I think that lighting actually helped kind of accentuate that in the movie.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. All right, now again, not every week we're going to talk about this, but we do want to talk about the score for this particular movie because this was a 1980s classic. It was written by composer Richard Band, who also did Reanimator, he also did Puppet Master, and they actually sell the vinyl. Over at Waxwork Records, which I bought a lot of records from them before, Uh, they do a lot of horror vinyl, and they actually did a reissue, uh, the Pink Slime version. So you can actually get that at Waxwork Records uh, if you're into the From Beyond score. Uh, So with that said, let's take a little listen to what the uh, From Beyond score sounded like. say overall i i really enjoyed the score i mean it didn't it didn't stick out to me the way that you know some horror movies do like a halloween like a john carpenter movie but it did a good enough job with the kind of xylophone in the background and it wasn't I mean there was obviously yeah. synth parts to it but they didn't over they didn't overdo it like it didn't it didn't. Uh, it didn't. It didn't make the movie that much better. Like I wasn't like blown away to the point where I was like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest score ever." But it also didn't take away from the scenes, which a bad score can do.
0: Yes, definitely. And you picked a, actually a perfect clip because I think it kind of accentuates. Uh, all the elements of the score like sometimes it was like classical just like film score some it didn't always have to feel like a horror movie sometimes it had just a standard kind of sweeping and majestic element to it uh but then you get like things like the the classic 80s xylophone is always part of uh horror films a lot of great uh creepy strings like this the the whole cre- uh, creepy string thing is it it goes throughout almost all horror films and uh they got plenty of uh good strings in this in this uh film as well
1: yeah anytime you can make a horror a horror score and they sell it on vinyl years later you did something right because they must have stuck out yeah. enough to where people would want to buy it and that and that's just the honest truth and like i said i think it did a, i think it did a good enough job accentuating the moments the opening is good you know like i said the, the, there's a couple of scenes where the score kind of stands out you kind of recognize that Uh, and it is recognizable enough that you remember it. Like I said, when I heard the clip that I just played, I was like, oh yeah, that kind of stuck out to me. So that is pretty much what you want a score to do. Not every score is going to be the Halloween theme and we all understand that, but, uh, you know, you do in certain situations when you do have a good score, kind of like what we talked about with the shining, you know, kind of a one note score in a lot of ways for what you remember, but it is memorable. Totally. All right, so this is our favorite category, of course, the category we always like to close out on, which is, is this movie scary today? Now, From Beyond is 1986, obviously several years old at this point. Uh, The effects are a lot different. Movies that may have scared the crap of us when we were kids or teenagers probably wouldn't scare the crap of us now. And to be clear, Patrick and myself are both horror movie fanatics, so it takes an awful lot to scare us. But we, we kind of yeah. take a bigger overview when we talk about this category because we're not talking specifically just for us. We're talking also for you guys that are listening who maybe want to check out From Beyond or or have watched From Beyond and maybe you are either agreeing or disagreeing with us. So, Patrick, would you find From Beyond scary today? So...
0: Again, considering contextually, this is a body horror film. And body horror films, do they scare you or do they creep you out, do they get under your skin, do they make you itch, do they make you unsettled because things you're seeing on screen could happen to your body and you don't want that to happen? This is the first in all of our episodes that I can say emphatically that yes, this is effective today. It's not scary because it's not a scary film, it's a body horror film and it's totally effective. And I think even contextually, if you remade this today and you did not lean on the body horror element. I think if you did it with today's effects and today's uh, filmmaking sensibilities and all of that body horror is still in there, this would also be an incredibly effective film. So this is a hundred percent yes for me.
1: I'm going to disagree slightly. I think there are elements of it that would still be scary. I think, like I said, we go back to that fly scene. I think that is definitely creepy. And that is, you know, in that moment, even though the flies, as you said, don't look really great. You know, when they devour Ken Paray, that's pretty creepy. And, you know, and and there's a couple moments with uh, Dr. Pretorius where he definitely kind of has that kind of creepiness to him. But overall... I I disagree on in terms of that, and, and again maybe it's just me because body horror is not really my thing. I, you know, if I think about body horror, that really freaks me out. I think about Creepshow, you know, one of the vignettes of creep Creepshow with the roaches. Like that's you know that to me oh, yeah. like those those are the kind of those are the kind of body you always say body horror quote unquote body horror. Those are the ones that kind of freak me out. Like you know when you think about. Uh, Prince of Darkness, you know bugs, you know crawling out of that guy's skin, like that kind of uh-huh. stuff. Those are the kind like that would creep me out. But I didn't really, I didn't really feel it with that element. And again, doesn't mean it's not good. It's not well done. It just didn't really creep me out. But again, I'm not the Lovecraft guy. I'm not the guy to judge this yeah. because that doesn't really do it for me. I mean, that doesn't really. You know, when I see those kind of creatures and those kind of things, it doesn't really do it for me in terms of the creature aspect or in terms of the body transformation aspect doesn't really get to me. So I would disagree personally, but if you're into that, if you like that Lovecraftian kind of horror, I think you're 100% on the money. But for me personally, no, it didn't really do it. There's a couple elements, like I said, the the, the flies are good, but... For the most part, you know, like when when you know when 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 uh, Crawford turns into RoboCop and he's got the bald head and like, all that stuff, <laughs> and then like and then like um, uh, you know, down in the basement with the with the weird Venus flytrap monster, like none of that really does anything for me. Uh, doesn't you know doesn't scare me. And again, overall, I'm saying I I enjoyed the movie and I would watch it yeah. again. And and I understand the greatness of of a, of kind of a classic horror movie, but um. But yeah, I, I I wouldn't really find it scary. I didn't find it scary when I watched. I you know even like I said, I feel I feel like I did watch this when I was younger, uh, but nothing stood out to me because there are some movies like I remember watching The Gate when I was younger, yes. and that movie yeah. freaked me out. You know what I mean? Like when I was a kid. <laughs> now I haven't watched The Gate in many years, and I'm sure we'll get around to The Gate at some point. I doubt it's going to have the same effect on me now, but back then I remember that movie freaking me out. Uh, you know what I mean like that and, and, and From yeah. Beyond didn't stick into my head what sticks into my head about From Beyond I'm dead serious when I think about that movie every single time I think about From Beyond it's the cover of the box it's that look at oh, Dr. Yeah. Pretorius with a stretched face that's what yeah. I remember about From Beyond
0: yeah totally no I, I mean it's one of those ones where if you were if you're people of a certain age that used to go to uh, video rental houses and you go to the horror section that's a VHS cover that you have stuck in your head for sure. Whether you saw the movie or not, you remember the cover.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, you know, like I said, this is a movie that you feel like, you know, there is elements that you could see this being a remake in you know, 2020 or yeah. beyond, and they could do something with this. Oh, dude, I, I
0: honestly, I I do this with all the, all horror films. Cause I'm, I'm really a film fanatic. And I'm, I'm terribly obsessed. So I think about that with every single one I watch, I go, if this was remade today, could it? Would it still be an effective idea? And uh, and again, i just reiterating what I said. It, it's not scary to me. I can turn the lights off and walk around my dark house after watching it. Doesn't freak me out. But the body horror gets under your skin. And I was like, oh man, like a modern version of this. Uh, take away a few of the uh, take away the Robocop makeup, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like and and explore some of the elements and really explore the body horror you would have people squirming in their seats and that's the goal and they did it
1: in well, my opinion two things tell me i'm wrong about the
0: robocop thing didn't
1: it look like him i mean didn't it really oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's a, it
0: okay it really does look like robocop
1: 100% you nailed
0: it and it is and it is like way too much like <laughs> okay. please guys cut half these scenes.
1: But imagine a, a a modern version. And again, let me step back and say I'm not trying to say what Stuart Gordon did wasn't great. I'm just saying think about a modern version right. of this where you spend a good 20 to 25 minutes with with Doctor Pretorius and 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 Crawford with this machine. You see it fail once, and then you see them. You you kind of understand better yeah. what they're doing because you kind of jump right into it at the beginning. Of what they're doing And yeah, then five minutes do. later You're kind of you know, Like they spend a lot of time With that old woman And her dog Trying to get Like that Like <laughs> cut that whole thing out but, like, spend a good yeah. 20 minutes with Dr. Pretorius. Maybe, you get maybe like, the scene opens with, like, you know, him doing experiments, and he hears this, like, weird scream, and he goes down and opens the door, and there's Dr. Pretorius, like, you know, beating the woman with a whip or something. And he's kind of like, oh. and he's like, right. he's like, come back later, and he shuts the door. And then the next day, like, they have an experiment. They fail. And then, like, the next night, like, they're obsessed over it, so they try it again. But this time, it actually works. And that's where, you know, everything yeah. kind of goes haywire. And then, you know, 30 minutes into the movie... You put him in the insane asylum, you introduce Barbara Crampton's character or, you know, the modern version of that, Dr. McMichael. And you have a little bit more of that, a little bit more of like that. And then, you know, you got to find a way to introduce Bubba in a better way because just him standing outside the van with an apple didn't do the job. Uh, And then taking them back to that house, taking them back to that, you know, to that thing and then spending a lot of time there is the crux of the movie. When they leave there and go back to the hospital again, kind of lost me. I didn't, I was like, why are we back at the hospital? It didn't really add much to the movie for me. So you cut out a big section of that. You end up back in the house and that's how the finale is. Like there is a version of this movie that can be made in 2020 that I feel like could be good, but I feel like there's elements again, spend a little bit more time with the, with the, with the beginning where you kind of understand the experiment that they're doing. And then when it goes haywire, it makes more sense to you understand why he's in the insane asylum that by that point you 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 sympathize with him you you agree with him you're like oh you know he is right he is he did see these things and then they get him out and then spend the bulk of the rest you know the second half of the movie going back to the house to experiment you know everyone kind of getting horny i'm fine with that part of it uh but like you know because <laughs> like the second part in the hospital didn't really do much for me didn't really ultimately didn't really see a big point in that besides spending a lot of time with the robocop and then uh, and then and then like I said, the, the kind of quick jump into the into the story without really digging in. Cause I feel like like Edward Pretorius would be a really compelling character to know more about him at yes. the beginning. That way when you see him transform into this thing, you kinda of understand like why he is that creature. You know, why he became this kind of like sadistic, kind of like sex obsessed guy. You know, like they show the room and that's great, and they use it, but, like, I, th- I think they're – th- actually, like, again, I'm, I'm sitting there writing it in my head, but I think there is a version of this movie yeah. that can be done really well. No, there
0: is. There is definitely a version, and, like, it kind of pumps me up. Like, I, I'm a screenwriter, and I, I think to myself now, like, is this Lovecraft story in uh, a, a public domain? Because if it is, maybe I'm going give to give it a crack because – it really is. There's so much missed potential in a, in what's otherwise a fine movie. But yeah, like I could see a modern version of this actually performing rather well. Uh, watching a lot of like Japanese uh, body horror masters, and then going off and trying to make like a high level uh, 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 version of this film with uh, with all that body horror element in there, the sexual weirdness in there. Yeah, there's like there's tons of potential here, all yeah, over the place.
1: I agree. I agree. Well, we went back in time for this episode to 1986. To talk about from beyond for our next episode. We're going to jump ahead to 2020. Even though there hasn't been a lot of movies come out this year because of the pandemic, one movie that actually got made during the pandemic was a movie that went on shutter that got a lot of attention. It's called Host. And if you look on Twitter, a lot of the horror directors out there, a lot of people that are on Twitter, talked about this movie when it came out. You know, either love it or hate it, but they talked about it. it was, it's in a very short movie, 56 minutes long. Uh, it's on Shutter, but it was made during the pandemic, kind of using the elements of the pandemic, basically a, a, a Zoom call. I don't want to ruin it yet. We'll talk about it next week. Yep. But basically a Zoom call uh, set in a horror movie, 56 minutes long, very easy to digest, basically an episode of television. Uh, but, it, but it got a lot of attention this summer because it was something that was filmed during the pandemic. And it, and it displayed the elements of the pandemic, kind of how our lives have changed thanks to the coronavirus. Uh, and again, it, it is something that was actually made right at this time. So uh, that's what we're going to dig into next week.
0: Yeah, looking forward to discussing host.
1: Yeah, lots to, <laughs> lots, uh, not going to bury the lead there. Lots to talk about the yeah. host next week. All right, uh, everyone, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure you uh, follow us on there. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I am at Damon Martin, and you are?
0: At Director Patrick.
1: Follow us on there. Make sure you let us know if there's movies you want us to talk about, something you want us to review, something you want us to hear us uh, talk about on the show. Please hit us up anytime. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we will be back next week with another edition of Rewind the Living Dead with host. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then.